Hi, Juliet the Rabbi here, coming to you from New York City. Oh, it's been only a few weeks, but it feels like ages. I'm just so used to doing this on a weekly basis, and I'm still getting used to it. And there's so much going on in the world, it feels like I, I, I've wanted to speak, but I also am grateful for the ability to be silent and to just let my own thoughts um, and thought process happen uh, without the pressure of having to do it every week. I, uh, aren't there enough pundits out there? I, I don't know. I don't need to be another one. <laughs> That's the other thing that I'm feeling. And I didn't realize how deeply this whole Israel-Gaza mess would make its way into my into my bones. I didn't know how deeply isolated and alone I was going to feel more even than during the thick of the pandemic, it seems like. Or maybe it's just that all over again. I'm afraid to feel, I'm af- I've been afraid to express myself. And instead, I've been stuffing my face since October 7th, as if that will make me feel any better. Tried and not true. So I want to know, has my silence been deafening? But who needs another pundit? What if this time I don't want to take sides? Everyone says I'm supposed to, but what if sides is what gets us in trouble? A part of me really wanted to go down to Washington for the Israel March, but for what purpose, I asked myself, other than being among fellow Jews. I thought maybe I should come as a more liberal voice, but then I thought, who is going to listen? Who would listen? Who would notice? And if they did, what? Yeah, just too complicated. And who, who were they speaking to at this march? My deepest fears were realized when this that evangelical minister John Hagee, 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 um, known for making really horrible anti-Semitic statements, spoke. I I knew right away. I didn't know who he was. I'd never seen him, heard of him. Maybe my Evanja radar is high. (laughs) I don't know. But I knew right away. I was like, this guy is not our friend. And you really don't have to go any farther than Wikipedia to read about him and to to find out about things that he said. John Hagee, H-A-G-E-E, if you haven't heard already. And you can also hear it on... um, on democracy now just just uh put in the search in the search engine and there's a whole um there's a whole section on him and and the things that the history of him and what he said at the march and the whole evangelical christian movement and its relations to israel i mean you can't trust these people as jews and it makes me crazy it makes me cringe and i can't believe that like jews do, do do we even know how to spot the enemy? I mean, we're talking about, you know, the Palestinian be, Palestinians being our enemies. But, like, what about these crazy evangelical Christians? In the Torah reading during these weeks, we're in the thick of the saga of, Is, of Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Joseph, uh, yeah. Jacob, Rachel, and Leah are matriarchs and patriarchs. There's lying and cheating, the hiding, the stealing, 
for me, it seems like to be like a microcosm of what's happening in the Jewish community, in Israel, in Gaza. Who can we trust? That's the big question. Doesn't history prove that we can't trust anyone ever? Let's take Jacob and Esau. Who's more at fault for the stealing of the birthright? Esau is the firstborn. He should have the birthright. And Jacob, you know, he he comes in one day. Esau comes in one day from the hunt and he's like, I'm starving. I'm going to die. Give me some of that red stuff, that lentil stuff that you've made. And he's like, well, sell me your birthright first. Give me your birthright. And Esau says, no problem. You can have it. I'm going to die anyway. What is it to me? And he gives it up. So is it stolen? Is it given away? What drives, what drives this? Is it fear? Is it greed? Hunger? What about Jacob and his father's innermost blessing? Again, a really sticky situation where um, Esau is supposed to get, um, get Isaac's innermost blessing. He's about to die. His father Isaac is about to die. He thinks he's going to die. And he's like, who knows when I'm going to die? So, you know, go and get me, go and, go and get me your, you know, go, go and hunt for me and bring back, uh, you know, bring back the, the animal and, and cook it for me and make it, make this dish that you know I love so much. Meanwhile, right outside his door, I mean, he's, they're shepherds. Why does he send them to hunt for this animal for the sheep or whatever it is, goat, sheep, I can't remember which, that, um, you know, he, he, that, that Rebecca sends Jacob out to get, he's like, she's like, go outside, you know what, this is what's going to happen, we need to make sure you get your father's innermost blessing, his first, you know, you're the one, and she dresses him up in these furs to make him look like the hairy one instead of the slippery one but he is the slippery one you know smooth skin slippery hmm this is the person that's supposed to be our our uh our, our fourth he he's our he's our righteous one he's the one who's supposed to carry the tradition for us he's our patriarch so whose fault is it is it rebecca for setting up the setting up the whole thing? Is it Jacob for going along with it? Or is it Isaac's for his willful blindness and deafness when his, when Jacob comes in and he says, let me feel you. You know, you don't have his voice. You don't have Isaac, Esau's voice. How can you be, right? So he's blind. He can't see. Is he willfully deaf also? So who's guilty? The one who makes the plan or the one who carries it out? Or the one who goes along with it. Our sages say that Rebecca knew something that Isaac did not because God said Jacob should become our patriarch. Who was the righteous? He was the righteous one. Or was he? That's the question. He didn't start out on sure footing, being that he went along with his mother in her guile and only cared about getting in trouble with God. I mean, it says so. Like, he's worried about getting in trouble. God's going to curse me. I'm going to be cursed. And she's like, don't worry. I'll take your curse. I'll be cursed. So who's it more at fault? 
now we go on to the next story of Rachel, Leah, and Jacob for all the suffering that happens. Is it, again, there's lying, there's cheating. Is it only Jacob's father-in-law, Laban, for lying and switching his daughters on the wedding night? Does Jacob bear no responsibility for the fact that he doesn't recognize even in the dark who his who is the one he's supposed to he thinks he's marrying Rachel and what about between Rachel and Leah I mean who suffers more the barren one who is loved or the fruitful one who is unloved Leah is the unloved one Rachel is the barren one is there suffering a competition Does that remind you of something that's happening in the world today? We talk about, no, we've suffered between Jews and Palestinians, but we've suffered more. No, we've suffered more. Like, this is an ongoing thing. So when Jacob finally takes his family after decades of working tirelessly for his father-in-law and he runs away, Laban gets wind of it and he pursues him. How could you do this to me, he cries. How could you take my family away? Where and how does it all end? One thing we can know for sure is that by looking only through one lens, there's never a happy ending. And maybe there isn't. Maybe it's too late. If we all see when trying to discuss our differences in opinion, among Jews no less, if we all see that it, it as if another is attacking us, us just because they don't agree with us, making us feel unsafe as opposed to merely uncomfortable because they have different opinions, then maybe there is no hope. Maybe we should all give up. Don't we all have that parent or uncle or cousin we've given up on? But that feels like a trap. The same trap of despair we fall into on the subject of climate disaster. If you're there, like I am sometimes, you have to listen to Krista Tippett on being, uh, there's this one, it's, it's about the climate, you'll see it. If you just look up, go to, the, go to the podcast. This woman is amazing. And if you need hope around that too. So I wanna ask, when our children and grandchildren later ask, just like with climate change, climate disaster. What did you do to stop it? What will we say? In terms of Israel and Gaza, will it be a proud moment? If all we can honestly say is, I sided with those who denied that we were killing indiscriminately? Oh, but everybody hates the Jews. Is that a good enough reason? Is that righteous? If there is an end, if, like I heard the Israeli peace advocate and activist Gershon Baskin say, can it end like it did for the Irish, maybe? Can we have our Belfast moment where we say, enough, we've been killing each other for a hundred years, let's just stop. Weeks ago, just as the hostages had been taken in Israel, maybe a week later, Maybe it was even two weeks later, we read of Abraham's nephew, Lot, being taken hostage. And Abraham secured Lot's freedom. But then he was worried, the Torah says. Why? 
our ancient sages had an explanation. Abraham worried that even if one person might have been harmed in the freeing of his nephew, that's what worried him. How much more so for us, knowing that many thousands of innocent people have indeed been harmed. Thousands. What is it, 7,000 now? have been harmed, have been killed in the name of freeing not even a handful of hostages. My blessing for us is from the depths of the darkness in which we find ourselves, my prayer is that we may learn to look through multiple lenses. My prayer is that we learn to receive differing opinions as just that rather than as attacks. May we practice feeling comfortable with the discomfort of differing opinions. May we lay down our sword and shield. May the light of Hanukkah bring all this to pass. And please say Amen. And until soon.